Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. In 1988, the world was introduced to the song Don't Worry, Be Happy thanks in part to the movie Cocktail. However, Bobby McFerrin's unique vocal jazz had been in the ether for six years prior, captivating the art crowd. This week, we're joined by rapper and trombonist Kadesh Flo to discuss if it's a mistake that Bobby McFerrin was a one-hit wonder or if he was just too unique for pop radio. Be happy In every life we have some trouble when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed. And you can live off royalties forever. And it makes me wonder, is it just a wonder or is it one? All right, Dash, you chose Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. So right off the bat, why did you choose this song? Do you have a special attachment to this song? I don't. Uh, I more think Bobby McFerrin is, is an absurdly impressive musician to be essentially a one-hit wonder. And I'm not sure why. I'm not like an expert on on him. I know enough about him to know how ridiculously good of a musician and vocalist he is and be shocked that Don't Worry, Be Happy is the only ridiculously prominent song that he had. 
Um, and I really, his musical legacy is really impressive just from that song and his kids. That is just like crazy that that's like the only huge thing that he did. That's all. That's basically yep. it. <laughs> I always knew the dude was crazy. Uh, I knew he was one of those guys that could sing two things at once. <laughs> that was like one thing I knew about him is just what he could do with his vocals right. was just insane. It's kind kind of like in the vein of like what Rozelle does or the Inuit lady singers and stuff like that. He's, I, I knew that he was on that level as far as the, the craziness of his vocal range, but I never dug deeper into his catalog then don't worry, be happy until preparing for this episode. And I was surprised that what I found for what a happy, goofy song, Don't Worry, Be Happy is, he's pretty much an avant-garde vocal jazz musician. Yeah. That's the only that's the only way I can describe it. So I think the dude could have very easily had more hits, but I don't think <laughs> the music that he chose to make even lent itself to pop music at all. He, he definitely, I saw that he worked with Yo-Yo Ma and Chick Corea and just like all these crazy people that he collaborated with. But yeah, I don't, it doesn't even seem like he tried to have another pop hit after this. Yeah. Well, like with the exception of, uh, I think good loving, maybe I feel like, Oh yeah. I heard that. Yeah. Somebody didn't push that song or didn't feel like pushing that song for the, like, I, I totally, totally agree with you. That doesn't seem like the direction that he was trying to go in at all. And I think he also is hurt by the fact that like hella people think Bob Marley's song, don't worry, be happy. That is and crazy like, that you said that because because my girlfriend said that today. She said, I said, we're doing Don't Worry, Be Happy. She goes, oh, the Bob Marley song. I'm like, what? Why on earth would you think that's Bob Marley? The only theory that I found that makes sense is because the Don't Worry, Be Happy vibes so much with the lyrics of Three Little Birds, which is the don't worry about a thing because everything yeah. will be all right, that people just assume that they're like the same song, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't even sound remotely like a Bob Marley song, like in any way, shape, or form. At all. But the, I think that, like, from a name recognition standpoint, I think that hurt him tremendously. Because, like, people just right. assumed it was Bob Marley and not Bobby McFerrin, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's there's one other thing that I think didn't help with this song. But I actually think it's the most punk rock thing about Bob McFerrin at the same time is that this song came out in 1988. And also in 1988, George W. Bush used it as a campaign song without getting permission. So as a response, Bobby publicly protested the use of the song, stated multiple times that he will not be voting for Bush in the next election, and stopped performing the song live at the peak of its popularity. So <laughs> I think that the fact that the song, as it's the number one song in America, he's not even performing it live out of protest probably didn't help things either. I did not know that. That's hilarious. Wow. It would be my absolute nightmare that a Republican politician would use one of my songs <laughs> in there. I mean, I just, it, it just seems like the surefire way to uh, try to destroy a career, but unless you could speak out against it. I couldn't believe all the stuff, like the songs that these, <laughs> that these assholes choose to, to use. Why on earth would you think that the village people would be all right with, <laughs> you know, why, why, why on earth would asshole Trump think the village people would think that's cool or, or whatever other songs they, they want to try to use. I think the only people that are cool with Republicans using their songs are like trapped and uh, <laughs> three doors down. <laughs> three, yeah. Ted Nugent. <laughs> Ted Nugent's cool with it, but otherwise, yeah, that nobody, 
<laughs> Nobody wants you guys using the songs. But yeah, the other thing, Matt, that I will say of maybe why people thought that was Bob Marley, even though it doesn't sound anything like Bob Marley, is the fact that Bobby McFerrin does use an affected, like, sort of Jamaican-style accent, even though he's not Jamaican, like, in this song. Yeah. That could be part of it. I was surprised to find out, like, oh, Bobby McFerrin, he's from, like, Brooklyn. <laughs> I would have assumed that maybe he was from Jamaica by the accent that he put in. But in the research for this, we saw that... He said, yeah, I just put on that accent and it was mostly inspired by eating at a Mexican restaurant next to where he was recording, <laughs> which is pretty funny because I, I don't I don't think it's a, a Mexican accent at all. But uh, yeah, the, the quote is, I hate to go as far as to say it's a Jamaican accent. It was heavily influenced by Juan's Mexican restaurant next to the studio. <laughs> so that's the story behind that. He had some credits before this song came out. Obviously, this isn't like the greatest credits in the world. But again, the song came out in 1988. Um, it was part of the cocktail soundtrack. That was what it was originally written for. Oh, wow. But before this, the year before that, he performed with the Cosby show every year. They would have a different person do the theme song. And he did the season four acapella version of the Cosby theme. So like he was already kind of in the in the stratosphere, but he wasn't like a publicly known person because he had been recording since 82. His second album, The Voice, is the first solo jazz record to be recorded with no accompaniments and no overdubbing. So that entire vo album is just single takes of him doing vocal stuff. Yeah, and I think that's wow. the thing that like I have to catch myself when I think about somebody like Bobby McFerrin. You think of him as a one-hit wonder, but really he just has two pop pop songs. Yeah, he has he has <laughs> one that took off. I mean, I'm sure there's there's some there's one that I don't know about, but and from what I know about him, he has one that took off and one that didn't, and. All his other music is just him doing what he wanted to do phenomenally. Yeah. And it's not yeah. stuff that is pop music. And that and that's a lot. Yeah. I know a lot of people personally like that. You know, like I like I literally work with Marcus Lewis on a regular basis. Marcus was Janelle Monet's trombone player for her first two albums. And the only nice. reason I was able to work with Marcus is because she decided to trim her band down and do more of like a look versus having the funk band. And Marcus always wanted to do a hip hop outfit that was a full big band that was fronted by rap rappers. And he happened to want to arrange my music for his big band once he stopped working with Janelle Monet. You know, Marcus, Marcus arranges and does, Marcus has phenomenal compositions as, in the, as a composer on his own. But anybody who looks him up as a trombonist is going to say that he played with Janelle Monet and Bruno Mars and Aretha Franklin and the Ohio players. And that's enough. But like, you know, and then, I know like a, <laughs> that's pretty sick. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah. like, you know, there, I, I know a few people who have resumes like that. And most of the music they make is just stuff that they want to make. Even if you think about Frank Zappa, right. for example, all the Frank Zappa's yeah. people, they had these massive records and tours, but they were using all of that to fund experimental jazz stuff. And now, I don't know what he's doing now, but when I was in college, like as a junior in college, I booked Tatsuya Nakatani for an internship I had. And it was like an experimental jazz concert. And this dude was like Frank Zappa's drummer for a significant period of time. And he tour, he's touring, like playing with like broken cymbals and bricks and, and pieces of toilets and stuff. 
<laughs> hey man, I think it's awesome when people do what they want to do and push the boundaries with music. You're talking about Frank Zappa earlier this week. Speaking of him, got into the the subject of you know people use the word emo to describe music, and I'm like, it's it's kind of a weird term because all music in one way or another is emotional. So somebody in response to that said, well, what about Frank Zappa? And I'm like. <laughs> motherfucker frank zappa yeah his music is his music is wild and crazy and weird yeah for sure but to say it lacks emotion because it's those things yeah i i think think that's that's... such an insane response like you put out a you put out an album making fun of the beatles called we did it for the money and you don't think that there's any emotion behind that right Right. hey to bring it back around to bobby mcferrin did you guys happen to hear bobby mcferrin's cover of blackbird no oh actually yes actually yes ins- yes it is insane it's- like it's so insane that i don't even know if i like listening <laughs> to it to be honest it's like it's beyond the realm of anything I could even think about doing with music because it is that thing where he's, I don't even know how to explain it. It's kind of like he's doing the bass with his throat and at the same time singing over it. Once again, I saw Rozelle do that live before and which blew my mind, but yeah, it's just so strange. It's like the strangest Beatles cover you'll ever hear, but yeah, it's amazing. It's definitely amazing. But once again, like you said, Dash, it's him doing what he wants to do. He's going to cover a Beatles song. It's going to be on his own terms, which is pretty awesome. What this conversation is reminding me is that I don't even think about popular music in the terms of the world I actually live in. I know so many people who do dope stuff on a regular basis and they have like one or two claims to quote unquote fame that are really legit, but that's not who they are or what they do. I still think of music in those terms, which is actually very fascinating in and of itself. It makes you want to examine why I think that way. Once you hear the same things over and over and over, that's when you want to hear, you want to hear new things. It's why I, <laughs> you know, I've brought this up before, like Bjork is my all time favorite artist and every album she's reinventing herself. Every album, it's something just out there that I haven't heard right. before. Those are the people that are most intriguing to me but at the same time i can appreciate a well-crafted pop song and you know bobby mcferrin (laughs) in fairness this this song it's very polarizing man from what i've seen online let's let's go to the positive side of this first the the positive side of it it won song of the year record of the year (laughs) and also um best male pop vocal performance of 1989 at the grammys so it was a very celebrated song, not to mention the fact that it knocked Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine off number one on the charts, which is, that's an accomplishment in itself. The first acapella song to reach number one on the Billboard charts. I mean, that's an accomplishment, yeah. you know? So singing the praises of this song a little bit more on an even more crazy, and I don't agree with this at all, but do you know what Don't Worry, Be Happy beat 
at the Grammys to win Song of the Year? No. Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Which, which, yeah, that is, that is, if I was Tracy Chapman, I think I might have stormed the stage and said, what? I mean, I kind of feel like that completely delegitimizes the Grammys. I kind of feel that way anyway. There are I kind a of lot of like things that fit that bill, but keep going. <laughs> I was yeah. say, we're recording at a time where Nas just got his first Grammy after like how many years of like yeah. incredible output. D- did he? Did yeah. he win a Grammy? Yeah. yeah. That nice. album was like the fourth best album out of the nominees, honestly. Like Nas winning for King's Disease when Alfredo was on the lineup and I forget Royce the Five Nines album. The allegory maybe Royce, but like, dude, Royce the Five Nines record releases in the last like five years have been like out of this fucking world. On a different planet. Like yeah. on a whole different planet. But like and I'm happy for Nas, but Nas winning rap album for King's Disease is kind of like uh, Al Pacino winning for Scent of a Woman over Denzel's Malcolm went after he didn't get anything for any of the Godfathers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, it, that's basically what it feels like. It's like, nobody's mad because Pacino should have been got an Oscar, you know, when he got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but retroactively, like, Nas should get a Grammy for the intro track to Stillmatic alone. When that song comes on, I am just fired up. Like I'm ready to I'm ready to step in the ring when that song comes on. In 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 researching this Grammy stuff too. So also another song that Don't Worry Be Happy Beat was Anita Baker giving you the best that I got, okay. which is also a jam. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> so that was I do not know any of this because that was the year I was born. But like ah. but like yo what <laughs> yeah right <laughs> those are some hot jams that that don't worry be happy beat and and then I, I so i was looking a little further i'm like this is bullshit kind of so i mean no disrespect to bobby mcfarren bobby mcfarren would probably be like what i beat fast car that ain't right but i looked at like what else won song of the year like in years around there the next two years after don't worry be happy won. Bette Midler won two years in a row for Wind Beneath My Wings and From a Distance. As far as Song of the Year being pretty sus, 1993 Tears in Heaven won, which if we want to get into Tears in Heaven. I don't even want to. Uh, like, that is a song that I will never talk about publicly because, like, <laughs> bro. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's funny. Like, on that new Phoebe, on that new Phoebe Bridgers album, she has a lyric that's like, we hate Tears in Heaven but it's sad his baby died. Like, it's like, yeah, it's a really sad song, but I, I really don't like it either. I, I always think about this in the movie Cecil B. DeMennett, and there's a scene where they storm into a screening of Patch Adams, and the whole time they just keep <laughs> screaming, just because it makes you cry doesn't mean it's good. Bars. That's harsh. <laughs> Man, that's cr- I mean, so that's kind of like the tears in heaven love. This isn't the same thing, but it makes me think about when The Weeknd got a Kids' Choice Award for I Can't Feel My Face. And then <laughs> his, next, yeah, that isn't right. <laughs> his next album, he has a line where he's like, I want a Kids' Choice Award for a song about a face full of blow. And then yeah. the next line, he's like, and I quote, God damn, bitch, I am not a teen choice. <laughs> so he roasts how absurd it was that that happened. That's what that song feels like, but it's more somber. So I imagine that, like, yeah. you know, it meant more and, and it might have been taken seriously enough for anyway. 
I, I don't like well, talking about that song publicly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, all I can tell you about it is that I was in like whatever, probably sixth grade when that came out, and that we had middle school dances, and they would play Tears in Heaven to slow dance to. And even Jesus, then, even bro. then, I remember thinking like, oh, why? Why are people slow dancing to this? And it's a super sad song, but middle school kids were then slow dancing. To Yo, it. somebody like, had sex to that song in 1993. Oh, oh <laughs> lots of people do. Lots of there, hey, there's lots of babies that were conceived. In yeah, lots of tears. In, there's a lot of tears in heaven, babies. Out there. Oh my god! All right, hey, we need to change the this is why yeah, I don't like terrible. talking about this song. Okay, yeah, we gotta change the subject. Okay, back to Bobby McFerrin a little bit here. I, I want to mention this because Matt brought up Patch Adams. The freaking music video for this song. I was watching it today. And I'm like, holy shit! Robin Williams is in this. Yeah, uh, yeah, Robin Williams is in the music video, which you know there was a rumor in 1992 that Bobby McFerrin killed himself, and then they said that the reason those rumors started were because people wanted to like say like, oh look, the guy who sang "Don't Worry, Be Happy" ended up k- killing himself. And then when I watched the video, and I'm like, holy shit! Like Robin Williams, who it's not just the "Don't Worry, Be Happy" video; it's like the guy's entire career is just making people happy like that was like his whole thing even his his character in patch adams everything is that and then you know we all know how he died so that rumor that was being thrown around about bobby mcfarren actually like there was truth to that when it came to robin williams who was in this music video at evernorth health services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like when I saw Robin Williams in this, I was like, it was like, it like took my breath away for a second because I didn't I didn't remember that about this. It's not, it's just them dancing, being goofy, whatever. Yeah, but as far as what I was gonna say is the hate for this song after the fact oh, is yeah. pretty intense. Yeah. The village voice named it the worst song of all time, which I take real exception with that. <laughs> I mean, Ooh. have these people heard butterflies? I was gonna say, is this is even the worst song we've talked about on this podcast. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Uh, Lil Yachty's cold like Minnesota. If we want to talk about popular <laughs> oh. songs that actually like charted and just categorize it from there, Lil Yachty's hits. Do you know what though? The Little Yachty songs, they're so outlandish that I like get it. I think things when things go like that over the top, like I'm like, okay, I get this. I actually like this because it's so absurd. Yeah. I would be more likely as Matt and the listeners of this podcast well know, I would be more likely to say like SR seventy one right now is the worst <laughs> song ever. Like more like the very vanilla, middle of the road, not even trying, just doing whatever's popular at that moment. Those are the songs I think 
are the worst songs of all time. Uh, Desh, in the worlds of music that that you play and listen to, are there any artists? I know you. I'm like really having you <laughs> trying to get you to call people out or whatever, which you don't have to do. But artists that you just think are like, you're really phoning it in. You know, like I like I play you know, punk rock music. And there's a lot of bands I think were great at some point. And then I just feel like you're just fucking phoning it in. Like you're just <laughs> not, not trying. Like we were talking about earlier. We like artists who push the boundaries. Bobby McFerrin's one of those, you know, he's doing his own thing. He's not so much worried about what's popular. He's doing inventive things. And yeah, jazz music. A lot of time, like that's, that's kind of the world I put Bobby McFerrin in, in his own way. So, I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure you know some artists that do that in hip hop and you know anything, you know. I would say and I like a decent amount of what I'm about to say that falls into this category, but mm-hmm. pretty much all of Justin Timberlake's solo work I think falls into yeah. the category of what you just said. It's like it's good because it's like he knows he's good and his songwriters are solid most of the time but mm-hmm. he just has really good musicians around him all the time and right. he just kind of sits there and exists as like a blue-eyed attractive white guy with a decent voice i don't blame him because it's like i i do that as a band leader myself i'm like i have dope enough songs conceptually and i have dope enough as a musician that i i have like the most awesome musicians in in kansas city which is known for having really ridiculously good musicians in general the most like the cream of the crop of those people want to play with me because i have cool stuff i'm not the best anything it's a real luxury it's good <laughs> it's, to be surrounded by like great people but dude that's not the, i don't mean to cut you off man but that's like the combination of you as an inventive person, as an, a unique musician, there, there's these differences. There are people that write and, and are unique and original, but maybe I think you're a good player too, man. But like, <laughs> but you know, but there are those like out of this world, extraordinary players, you know, yeah. that don't necessarily, but they aren't that level of writer. I know a lot of people like that. You know, they're they're world-class musicians, but as far as a writer, they're they need to be paired with somebody like what you're saying about yourself. And I, and I'd rather be the you in that situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that distinction is really important and recognize like there is a team building brilliance so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then there is having a team building brilliance and then doing the bare minimum because you know that you can already you've already been so successful that you know that you can do the bare minimum and still be absurdly successful and that's Justin Timberlake. I agree. I I agree with that, man. And like it's not just Justin Timberlake. There's a lot of people out there that reach that level and they're just they're basically a brand. And you could slap that brand on some talented people on some other talented people's work like that. Justin Timberlake, uh the song with Jay-Z, the um suit and tie. Yeah, suit and tie. Suit and tie. That, yeah. That song's awesome. Whoever, I don't know what Justin Timberlake's involvement was in the uh, <laughs> arrangement and the whatever, but like the song is awesome. Like it's just, a, it's got to be a collaboration of every great producer you can imagine and, and player, you know? Yo, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was off of that 2020 album that he had to yeah. do to get, to finish his, his deal. If I'm not mistaken, Uh JT fans were super happy he had to do that because they got more content from him. But he featured on 
I want to say the Magna Carta Holy Grail title track on Jay-Z's Magna Carta Holy Grail album, which was uh-huh. basically a marketing project with Samsung as an album, if I'm if I remember correctly. But like JT's effort on that Jay-Z feature on that one song obliterated that entire double album because he actually tried like i'm so glad you brought that up because that is like the best example of jt just existing and being (laughs) successful it's like that album (laughs) versus him actually featuring with jay-z and doing what we know he's capable of doing. Hey, uh, all right. So look, bringing it, I, I feel like I, I got to keep reeling us back into Bobby <laughs> McFerrin. Uh, hey, as far as this song, okay, one more thing I want to say. And I said this about that episode we did about the refreshments where they had a lyric that's always in my head. This thing, I swear I'll be cutting the grass. I mean, I'm not talking about in planning, knowing we had this episode coming up. I'm talking about for the past since the song came out i could be cutting the grass i could be working out and the the hook in this song the that thing that that melody has been on a loop in my head since this song came out like, <laughs> i i cannot escape that melody that melody is so good but aside from that it's kind of like a almost spoken word song. <laughs> and is this a good message in this song? Don't worry, be happy. Is that a good message? Because one thing I noted, and I don't know if you guys know the exact reference, because I, I guess I never noticed this in the lyrics, but it says Public Enemy mentions this song negatively in Fight the Power. I don't know the line. What's the line? I think he says slap me right there or something like that. Yeah, it's Don't Worry Be Happy was a number one jam. Damn, if I say it, you can slap me right here. But I mean, that whole song is basically just about like, fuck being happy, be angry, like, like fucking yeah, do something. I mean, that, that was going to be my point, like where I would see it from like public enemies perspective or if you're talking about, I don't know, the, the most recent thing I can think of is like, you know, issues of social justice over like the past year and stuff like Don't Worry Be Happy is a terrible message. It's like, it's more like get angry, make a difference, get, go out like, so I don't know. It's, it, I guess it just depends on your life situation. If you're stressed about like, my grass is getting high. Yeah, don't worry, be happy. But if, if the issue is something of serious importance, human rights, things like that, like, no, Don't Worry Be Happy is not a positive theme for that you know so so. i think it's and bear with me here on this i think that message is on brand for going into the 90s where like Mm -hmm. everything that we have a problem with right now from a social justice standpoint and from an economic like class warfare so to speak standpoint was really coming into play heavily around the time that this song was made but Mm -hmm. the idea for that was like the publicly acceptable thing was to one be colorblind to be happy that you're in America because America was quote unquote the greatest country on the planet and and there wasn't as much public access to access to inf- information. So this like if you think about this song happened not very long after Iran Contra and mm-hmm. like people are shocked that that Trump's probably going to get off for everything that he did that was illegal and people who look who know anything about presidential history to like a like a decent amount of detail are aware of the fact that reagan is one of the most revered presidents in american history like people worship ronald reagan essentially especially like in 
conservatives, Reagan got away with the Iran Contra. And like I like just the just those two things are enough. But going into the nineties when this song came out, this is like when the war on drugs was at, at its peak and it's when everything was being reverted to the top earners in society and the middle class was basically being destructured from a policy standpoint. Like we're dealing with all the con- we like we are in an era era now where it's so obvious that we have to be angry about the stuff that was mm-hmm. happening then. But at that point in time, it was like, hey, it looked like, hey, we're out of war. The civil rights movement, we figured it out. You know, people have rights. AIDS doesn't matter. Like. I'm happy that gay people exist, even though there are like hella gay people dying from AIDS and the government doesn't care. This was also happening at the same time. So there's like the overwhelming concept in U.S. society was like, hey, if I could be positive and try to be the best person I could be, then everything will just be okay, even though all this terrible stuff is actually happening. So the song is really on brand and makes sense relative to the time that it came out. There, yeah. I mean, there are times in American history and you could almost map them out pretty easily where the culture gets lulled into a sense of complacency. And I think, you know, so you start at Vietnam, you know, Vietnam, people were vehemently anti-war and you had, you know, I just watched uh, the trial of Chicago seven. I got, I'm going to watch Judas. I'm going to watch Judas and the black Messiah today, but I love watching. I'm really interested in that. That period of history is like Vietnam. I love the Ken birds Vietnam documentary. I feel like every American citizen should have to watch that to understand that because it, it relates to what you're saying is like, I watched the whole documentary as I saw Trump get elected because I needed to like realize that we as a country were also at some point we were in this place we're at this sense of peril that I felt when he got elected like oh shit this is really bad but like you said things have been bad the whole time <laughs> yeah, there the have been time. bad things going on the whole time it's just it wasn't so like it wasn't so blatant and in our faces so yeah you talk about when don't worry don't worry be happy comes out there was horrible shit going on but we were maybe lulled to a sense of complacency at that time. Maybe that was the perfect time. And no offense to Bobby McFerrin. He was just trying to write a nice, a nice song. I want to you know? pitch something though. And I have no evidence for this, but I'm looking at the lyrics. Do you think that it's satirical at points at the same time? Like I'm looking at the second verse and it says, you've got no place to lay your head. Someone came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord says that your rent is late and he's going to have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. Look at me. I'm happy. Like that sounds like some some, some satirical ass shit right that there. That sounds to hella me. satirical. I've never <laughs> like, thought about that before. You said that just now at all. So like I'm going to say I don't have an opinion because I never I never thought about it that way. <laughs> but that sounds hella satirical. <laughs> like, have we been all misinterpreting this this entire time? And it's actually I mean, a song about how stupid the concept of just like ignoring your problems is. You know, and and from what I've seen of Bobby McFerrin, like, you know, we all know he's this crazy musician. But Matt, we watched a video of Bobby McFerrin talking about the pentatonic scale and how that relates to people of all. Everyone understands it you know, regardless of what language you speak or whatever. And it was really like pretty deep and awesome to see that. If anyone hasn't watched that, just the second you YouTube Bobby McFerrin, it's like the second thing that comes up. It's really awesome. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think Bobby McFerrin is forward thinking enough to have this be satire that that's interesting. I would love to 
dig into that and see because it makes sense. Like, yeah, somebody comes and takes your bed. That could be referring to a lot of things there. You know, like that's not a situation. Don't worry. Be happy if you're evicted from your home. <laughs> this could go as deep as talking about gentrification or, you know, there, there's a lot of things that could that could come into play here, Matt. I think you have a good point here. I think and he, might he be strikes me as the kind of guy who would never outwardly say it. Like, he doesn't seem like the guy that would be like, no, you're not getting it. It's satire. Like, he's that type of artist where it's just like, look, if you figure it out, you figure it out. But like, whatever. Like, I'm looking, again, I look at these accolades. Dude is fucking smart as shit. And he is way smarter than to just write a like close your eyes and blindly go with the flow type song in the middle of everything that was happening in 1988. That's a good point. And I, so I just, you know, quickly Googled don't worry, be happy satire. And it is not a common conversation apparently. So, <laughs> uh, so you, Breaking you know, new ground here on one hit thunder. <laughs> breaking some territory that we just haven't thought about because it's like that song is an institution. I'm going to shift gears a little bit in case I forget to get to it. But I, I feel like you like asked me on a different podcast conversation about one hit wonders that like were really iconic to me. And I mentioned this one, but the reason that I thought about it is because like, not long before that conversation, I was revisiting the thing that Bobby McFerrin did with Layla Hathaway on singing chords at, with like your just one person singing chords. Which is and crazy. I saw that video when it happened and like they first uploaded it or whatever to YouTube. And I was like, the guy that did this song, this like really simple situation can do this what and then i look into like his his work and i was like yo this dude's like crazy legit <laughs> like yo yeah. that's crazy so that and i i just revisited that but the other thing that reminds me of bobby mcferrin consistently uh is actually his kids uh because taylor and maddie are both very brilliant indie artists who have made names for themselves doing what they want to do musically that tracks me back to bobby and taylor is more popular i think in mainstream circles quote unquote now but maddie is phenomenal and i did i didn't know about her but i saw uh anna wise was touring and they came through kansas city and Maddie was touring with Anna Wise. And Anna Wise, if you're not familiar, is I forget the duo she was in, but then she Kendrick Lamar picked her up, so she wrote and sung oh. on like Good Kid, Mad City, and the Pippa Butterfly oh. and Damn album. I don't know if you when when Kendrick was doing like those live band performances on like Fallon and stuff. She was like the one white girl, <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> and she's ridiculously good. We have mutuals, and so like I I spent a little bit of time with her, and so then I became a fan, like actually like a fan fan because. I was like, oh, she's dope. But then like I hung out with her and she's like a dope person and she's ridiculously nice. brilliant. So when she came through Kansas City touring on her own and not with like somebody else, Maddie McFerrin was touring with was opening for her. And like I completely fell in love with what she does, what Maddie does musically. And that also made me track back to Don't Worry, Be Happy because I was like, Maddie McFerrin, nice. Maddie McFerrin, Maddie McFerrin. Why does that sound familiar? And I was like, oh, Ryan, you idiot. It's because she's Bobby McFerrin's daughter. So I had no idea, man. <laughs> I got some music to check out today. That's awesome. So where do we think we land on this? I think we're All at right. that point. <laughs> okay. So we got we got to decide if Bobby McFerrin brought the one hit thunder or if this was a, a one hit blunder. I will say the one more thing I was going to say is there's a there's a real art 
to when you're this crazy of a, I mean, vocalist for him, but I'm sure it goes beyond vocals for Bobby McFerrin. I didn't look into like what else he plays. I'm sure the dude, I'm sure the dude could play piano. I'm sure the dude, you know, it just seems like people that are this musical probably play a lot of instruments too. That being said, when you're this sort of musician, sometimes it's hard to write a straightforward, basic pop song. Like that's a skill in itself. And Bobby McFerrin obviously wrote the song of the year. And we, we all know that he, he's crazy beyond the, this silly little pop song or whatever you want to call it. I vote Thunder all the way on Bobby McFerrin. Yeah, I'd vote Thunder. Absolutely. Just because as much as we can roast the meaning of the song or question whether or not it's satire, it's still like a very relatable song that from a mental health standpoint, it's kind of like saying control what you can control. And that's really important for anybody at any given time. It's like, don't worry, be happy sounds really naive. But if you actually look at it and look at what that message could actually mean, it's like, what's the point of worrying about anything? Because if you're worrying about it, you probably can't control the situation. And that exactly. like mantra is is powerful in and of itself. And it's it's low key like it's like an unusual bop, like it's an earworm for no reason, you know. So I definitely yeah. put it on in the thunder category. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll all three of us on that case. Just some quick credentials uh, that I found when I was doing a little bit of research. But in 1994, he was appointed the creative chair of the St. Paul's Chamber Orchestra and conducted multiple orchestras, including the Philadelphia Orchestra, the L.A. Philharmonic, the London Philharmonic, many others. He was awarded an honorary doctorate in music by Berkeley College and in 2018 was given the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Acapella Music Awards. Dude's got cred for days regardless and you know like the fact that he did this boppy little acapella song and knocked guns and roses out of the top spot is like (laughs) that's pretty cool actually that's awesome yeah that's (laughs) that that is cool and you know what one more cool thing i want to say is that this guy maybe don't worry be happy provided him the financial security to then keep pursuing you know, all, all of the, the things that push the boundaries as far as music goes. If that was the case, if that provided him with that, which I, I always talk about that, any of us who play music, we would welcome that hit if it meant it could give us financial security to, I don't know, build a studio or record music for the next 20 years or whatever. I'm sure at this time people were buying music a lot. It wasn't all streaming at that time. He probably made a nice chunk of change on this song and good for him because the dude deserved it. And I mean, we talk about how obviously almost any artist we talk about, we will gladly open doors, have them on the show, but like probably top of the list of people that we've talked about where I would love to just talk to him. Like I think that his thoughts about life and music would be fascinating to like just sit and have a conversation about <laughs> Bobby. If you're out there, you got, you got all these guys fanboying about you. Come on. Dash, where can people go to check out your music before we sign off? At Kadesh flow for everything. Search Kadesh flow on your favorite streaming service to get my music. I've been very heavy on YouTube, uh, getting back in the weekly content raps and anime raps and, all that. So uh, Kadesh Flow on YouTube, there's something new every Friday right now and uh, on Bandcamp as well. These are free Bandcamp drops. Uh, but otherwise, uh, search Kadesh Flow on Spotify, iTunes or Amazon or, or YouTube Music or whatever. 
uh, and at Kadesh Flow at all social media, kadeshflow.com. It's uh, it's very consistent. If you use Google Kadesh Flow, you'll yeah. <laughs> get to some get to some some good stuff. <laughs> Hell yeah. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Get Off My Train from the Punchline album Just Say Yes. Visit punchline.com for merch, music, and future tour dates. If you've ever had an interest in podcasting, also visit weknowpodcasting.com to see how Chris and I can help make your show sound as professional as possible. And let us know your thoughts on our show One Hit Thunder by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.